Hi, this is Dr. Paul White, co-author of the best-selling The Five Languages of Appreciation Workplace, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best with Bill Ringel. Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringel here, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock your growth potential. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished guests who want to share their knowledge and experiences so you can be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating towards more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today is Paul White. Dr. Paul White is a psychologist, speaker, and leadership trainer who makes work relationships work. He's written articles for and been interviewed by Bloomberg's Business Review, CNNFortune.com, and Entrepreneur.com, Fast Company, FoxBusiness.com, Huffington Post, and many more. He's the co-author of three books, including The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, which is what we'll be talking about today. He's co-written this book with Dr. Gary Chapman, author of the number one New York Times bestseller, The Five Love Languages. Based on their extensive research and expertise, Dr. White and Dr. Chapman have developed practical ways for leaders and employees to communicate authentic appreciation that leads to increased employee engagement, lower staff turnover, and more positive work environments. Paul's been married for over 39 years and is the father of four adult children. He enjoys fishing, watching college sports, and playing with his five grandchildren, and he lives in Wichita, Kansas. Welcome, Paul. Thank you, Bill. Glad to be with you. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Say, one thing that I've found true of all high performers is that we can look back and identify at least one person who's been central to helping us get to a higher level of achievement in our lives uh, or a higher level of contribution. When you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? Yeah, I would say actually both my father and my grandfather. My father was born during the Depression and grew up during that time. And he was a small businessman. He ran and grew a, a company that created point of purchase displays, Hallmark card displays and grocery stores, that kind of stuff. But at the dinner table, he often would ask us, he says, what needs do you see out there that aren't being met, that could be met or you know, maybe a creative problem? And so I sort of grew up just thinking about that and looking at life and work that way. And so, so that's really sort of how I've approached my career as being a need meter versus, you know, maybe having a dream or something like that. My grandfather, on the other hand, fascinating story where he was uh, the only child in his family. His father died when he was 16 and he had to take over the farm at that point in time and then did that and then uh, grew it. And then the U.S. government during World War II bought his property sort of for not what it was worth because it's next to a munitions plant. Anyway, he demonstrated and modeled perseverance. He just had a number of really tough life circumstances that he had to go through, and he just kept on, and he didn't complain, and he figured out ways to make it work. And it, just seeing that over time and hearing the stories that he went through uh, was quite inspiring to me. So growing up, you actually heard firsthand his stories of some of the trials and tribulations he'd lived through. Correct. Yep. What difference do you think it made for you growing up hearing him talk about these very difficult times and telling it in a way of relating to you his life experience rather than complaining about it? Well, you know, I don't know if it made much difference early on. You know, I, I was didn't have the best work ethic as a teenager and had to learn and grow. But as I grew into young adulthood, I remember thinking, 
man, this is tougher than I thought it was going to be. You know, work is pretty hard and, and you don't get as many vacations and time off as when you're in school. And and I just, you know, when I would think back to, you know, going through the Dust Bowl for him and then, you know, losing his property and, and he found other things to do. Yeah, I mean, it was reality, but he didn't whine about it. It was just sort of, you know, you had to figure out the next step. And so I think that helped me have a balance versus, you know, getting into that sort of what was mean, negative kind of thing. And to be honest, I mean, my work with Dr. Chapman, it took me a year to get through to him. Um, and I think the perseverance of that, he had what I would call the nicest bulldog assistant I've ever met, that she was tough to get through. But after a year, I finally was able to arrange a meeting and then pitch the idea of working together on this project. And, uh, and, and from there, so I, I think it served me well. And how did that meeting go, Paul, when you met with Dr. Chapman, did you pitch the idea of doing this book initially and he immediately saw the applicability of it or did you need to come back and refine it? What did it take in order to get a green light and establish this collaborative venture? Well, I found out later that actually my perseverance impressed him. So he had written the five love languages, which is a bestseller, you know, it sold 18 million copies now. And he actually told me, he said, I don't really want to co-write a book with anybody. I think he had just gotten through a project that it wasn't real positive. But I, I pitched the idea of creating an online assessment for the five languages of appreciation. He said, why don't you start with that? And uh, let's work on that together, which we did and created that. And then I started using it with small businesses and, I don't know, non-for-profit uh, organizations and developed training materials. And then he said, okay, let's maybe work on this together. And he told me actually that he had had, I don't know, 20 or 25 people prior to me pitch the idea, uh, but he felt like the combination of me being a psychologist, so knowing the people side of things, and working and consulting with family-owned businesses, and it didn't hurt that we went to the same undergrad college, so that, that uh, gave me a little bit of an in as well. That's terrific. I think it's a lesson for everyone listening, how paying off and leveraging your relationships with others through affiliation, whether they be colleges or associations, and then also bringing to bear your experience and your training. All makes a difference that could tip the scale that allowed you to get through and establish a working relationship where a couple dozen other people had tried and not gotten this far. So let's put it out there for people who haven't heard or haven't heard recently about the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. They're words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, tangible gifts, and physical touch. Now, before and possibly immediately after learning these distinctions, do most managers think that others are just like themselves so that if they prefer words of affirmation, for instance, then they think their direct reports and colleagues do as well? Well, I think everybody's first response, whether they're a designated leader or not, tend to think in terms of, you know, what is impactful to me and sort of naturally use that initially. And in fact, before they even know about the languages, that's sort of what people do naturally. They sort of, you know, either give a compliment or maybe stop by and check in and see how somebody's doing or help them out on a project. But it is a challenge for some leaders, some more than others, to realize that not everybody feels valued or appreciated in the same way that they do. And even beyond that, neither sh that they should. <laughs> I mean, I've had some gentlemen, you know, primarily tell me, yeah, I understand they're different, but they should like this. I mean, the, probably the, the greatest example of that is 
and uh, going up in front to, you know, be recognized in front of a large group. Our research has shown that about 40% of the workforce absolutely do not want to go up in front of uh, a group. And in fact, I had a, a woman in our trainer name was Shirley. She was an administrative assistant for, uh, actually, I believe it was a school principal. And she said, you can give me an award, but you're going to have to carry me up there to get it because I'm just not going. And so a lot of leaders, and I find this especially in entrepreneurs and in sort of sales and marketing people, that they like the attention. So they sort of design programs that way. And their assistants just are cringing about having to go up in front of people. And so we have to understand that people are different. And really, it's a lot like tastes. You know, some people like blueberry pie. Some people, you know, really are fans of lemon meringue. And if you just don't have a taste for it, it's hard to acquire. And it's much easier to speak to the language that people want to be spoken to in than it is to try to change them, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've been married for 40 years now and you can talk to my wife, you know, changing somebody else just doesn't work. And so we need to accept that and and learn about it. Part, partly, I think our languages of appreciation are formed early in life about what happens within our family and maybe even early work experiences. And so they're sort of woven into who we are and it is what it is. I mean, partly, and it, partly it's modeled too, because in the workplace, and so we've had over, let's see, 200,000 people take our online assessment, the Motivating by Appreciation Inventory. And so it has some pretty good data. And over about 45% of the workforce value words as their primary way to be shown appreciation. I think that's partly because it's sort of easy to do and, you know, it doesn't take a lot of effort, uh, although to do it well, it takes a little more. But also, it's mainly what's been modeled for us. And so we don't really th think about other ways to show appreciation rather than, you know, saying thanks or giving a compliment. So languages of appreciation really have a lot of tangible business results, don't they? When people are doing it well, what are some of the positive benefits that accrue to companies that take this seriously and put some energy and time and effort into making sure people become fluent in the languages of appreciation? Yeah, absolutely. That, in fact, in our book, The Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, that we revised it and updated the, the research early in 2019. And in the, the second chapter, that's basically about the return on, of investment for appreciation in the workplace, have over 50 research citations that include, you know, when, when your team members feel valued, they show up for work more. <laughs> There's reduced absenteeism. They actually show up on time. They follow instructions. There's less internal conflict between people because when people feel valued, they are less edgy and irritable and sort of chippy and they can, you know, work with people better. We clearly know that staff turnover, which is sort of the, you know, the highest non-productive cost for a business, staff turnover goes down. Interestingly, as we work with different kinds of companies, found that employee theft goes down on-the-job accidents are less. There's higher customer service ratings. And again, a, a fairly solid research across numerous kinds of companies that show that both productivity increases, but even more than productivity, profitability increases by about 22% when you compare teams that feel valued versus teams that don't. 
partly because of these other things of, you know, not showing up or, you know, fighting over stupid things. Well, I hope everyone heard and set up when they heard 22% profitability. It's not a guarantee, but it can make a significant difference just by putting a little bit of effort into this. Absolutely. Yep. Right. Now, something else that's true, Gary, is that a lot of people may think that they're fluent in the languages of love, but they're not necessarily. It's kind of like taking you know, a, one semester of foreign language and thinking you're going to tour Europe successfully. What are some of the symptoms of a workplace that's illiterate in using the five languages of appreciation in the workplace? Well, you know, the big symptom is negativity, that when people don't feel valued, they complain more, they grumble more, just uh, there's more negative interactions and which wears down to people and it doesn't get anywhere good as far as, you know, sort of problem solving. What's also interesting is that you have all of these sort of secondary kinds of results of absenteeism and turnover and conflict. And what happens is managers and supervisors don't like their jobs as much because the group that they're trying to manage are more difficult to influence and have positive results from. So your your leaders get worn out as well. With the companies that you've dealt with, can you tell me an example of one that embraced the five languages of appreciation in the workplace and were able to turn around a situation that was negative into something that was either neutral or positive? Sure. I, I got lots of examples. Well, the one that comes to mind, just because it's a pretty unique one, is a company in South Dakota that is a mining and uh, a commercial chemical company. And they probably there weren't necessarily problems except for turnover. That they had a really high rate of turnover among their frontline workers. I mean, the, the the guys, mainly guys that worked the machinery, that drove trucks, that uh, were dispatchers, and so forth. And it's a family-owned business. It's uh, three going into four generations. It's got about three to four hundred employees. And it's across uh, three states: South Dakota, Wyoming, and Colorado. And was brought in for leadership training and worked primarily with Samantha, who is a daughter, third generation. Her brother is the CEO. She's sort of the uh, chief uh, development and training officer. Uh, they brought me back just this last year after two years working together um, on our materials. And um, in fact, I did a recording with her because she was just kept talking that you've just helped us change our culture, that people understand that just because you say thanks doesn't mean that gets it done, that people feel valued in different ways, and that the guys, uh, frontline people actually wanted and, and had designed symbols. We have symbols for each of our languages and took those and made stickers to put them on the hard hats that they wear. And uh, they actually made it part of onboarding process that you can't participate until you've you know crossed your uh, probation time. So uh, they sort of use it almost as a little bit of a carrot that, you know, you can't take this. That's going to find out what your language is until, you know, you can pass the 50 day and, and uh, accomplish other, you know, sort of steps that you need to. So it's fun to hear from them and uh, I'm delighted that they're pleased with it. So it really helped the turnover and the negativity. And they got people who typically wouldn't expect to be embracing this kind of language subtlety when they're working on, you know, maybe in mines or they're working with heavy equipment, but they've really liked it to the point where they themselves said, 
let's design stickers and put them on our helmets so that people could quickly recognize how to speak with us in our primary and maybe secondary language of, of appreciation. Right. You know, and I have a, uh, and, and I guess I use that example as well as uh, another one I can share about manufacturing because a lot of people think, well, you know, this sounds sort of touchy feely. And I, you know, I don't think sort of my group of construction workers or people out on the factory floor or whatever it might be, law enforcement are going to get this. But it actually, part of the issue is that we really deal with being authentic rather than just sort of going through the motions. And, and one leader, his name's Pete, he oversees three different manufacturing firms. And one of them actually uses federal prisoners as their employees and has built a good business in a positive environment around that. And uh, he was talking, we were going through the languages and he we have people, the team, uh, take the inventory and then we do a group chart and look at that. And he looked at the chart and he said, you know, I'm looking at this and I see that words of affirmation is my lowest. He had told me another time, he said, my language is get her done. Don't tell me stuff. Don't give me stuff. Just help me get things done. And he said, but I see that the four people that report to me, three of them, their highest language is words. And he turned to his team and he said, you know, I, I think I maybe don't tell you thanks or praise you enough. And one of his team members, uh, they had a good relationship, said, you think? Uh, <laughs> and so, so we worked on a plan to help him deal with that because what we found is people's least valued language, the one that they not really that important to them, is sort of your blind spot as a leader. It's the one you don't think of naturally, but you have team members around you that have that language, and you've got to figure out a way to sort of make that happen, or otherwise you're going to lose them. I mean, a, a key Research stat is that 79% of the people who leave a job voluntarily cite a lack of appreciation as one of the main reasons they're leaving. Most business leaders and managers think that people leave for more money. There may be more money in the mix, but that's not why they're leaving because leaving a job is a very emotionally taxing process. You're going to have to disengage. You got to go look and transition all that. And so it takes an emotional driver. And so it's that sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back is when they say, you know, nobody gives a rip about what I do. I never hear anything. The silence is deafening. And and then they're out of it. Well, I just want to emphasize how important it is that in the previous example, saw that he wasn't going to change in that he didn't care to receive the words of affirmation, right. but he needed to expand his ability to communicate those in order to be a more effective leader. Exactly. I think that's something that everyone listening to this podcast ought to take away. It isn't designed to help you feel differently for yourself, but mostly to be able to keep your team knowing how much you recognize them. Because if you really want to show appreciation, it's worth that extra step to do it in the way that they most will recognize and appreciate, I think. Isn't that what you're conveying? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing that we learned along the way, I mean, I'm sort of a lifelong learner, is that initially we just helped people identify their languages that they preferred. But what we found out fairly soon is they needed more specifics than that. I had a manager talk to me and said, you know, my teammates' language is quality time. What do I do? And so we went back and retooled our assessment. And once we identified team members' uh, primary language, we then give them a list of 20 to 25 actions that they can choose that are important to them. Because in quality time, it differs. I've had a, a number of mainly female administrative assistants tell me, hey, I don't want individual time with my supervisor. He's pretty intense and I'm shy. I like to hang out with my friends and go to lunch or go out afterwards. And so we'll give them a list of, hey, go to lunch and talk about work. Go to lunch and not talk about work. 
watch sports, and then we let them choose who they want that action from so that we get very specific so that we help both leaders and, and uh, team members hit the mark and not just sort of do a shotgun and hope that, you know, people want an email or they want time, but you can get, be very specific and, you know, have an impact by just really a very small action. Paul, a lot of companies these days are using a checklist to show that they have some sort of employee recognition program in place. Mm -hmm. And I don't hear a lot of <laughs> praise <laughs> that it's hitting the mark. Right. What insights can you bring to that for a company leader who says, I don't get it. We've tried this and it's yeah. not living up to the hype or expectation. Absolutely. Well, you know, employee recognition was initially designed for uh, besides service awards as far as years of service, which doesn't motivate anybody to keep going. But good employee recognition programs were actually designed uh, based on performance. And that's a good thing that you reach goals or you, you know, demonstrate certain behaviors and all that. But they got into trouble when they started trying to use employee recognition to help people feel valued and appreciated. They weren't designed to do that. They don't work well because they're very structured. They're pretty organizational. They're impersonal. You know, it's sort of you do this, you get that. Whereas appreciation from our point of view is personal. And that's really sort of a key part of our message is that you can appreciate team member who isn't necessarily your highest performer. In fact, you better because employee recognition programs and, and sort of incentive programs hit about the top 10 or 15% of your team. But there's a good 50 to 60% in the middle that are solid people. They're good people. They may not be your stars, but they show up, they try to get the work done. And if they don't, you know, hit the recognition, they don't hear anything. And the key number I always tell people to remember is that 79%. Those people are at risk for leaving. And you need good, you know, to use a sports analogy, walkers and tacklers besides just, you know, star quarterback, receiver, running back. If you don't have the people in the middle to do the job, it's not going to work. And so that's where appreciation fills the gaps. And the other thing that we learned, and your listeners can sort of relax, is that it's not just for for supervisors and managers to do. It, that's too much of a really burden. And so one of the things we learned is to help train team members how to show appreciation and encouragement to one another. Yeah, people want to hear from their boss or supervisor, but um, more and more, especially with younger employees, uh, we did some research comparing uh, younger employees, millennials versus older employees, and peer relationships and hearing it from their colleagues is is critical and key, and they'll stay even if they've got a less than positive relationship with their manager if they feel supported by their colleagues. Paul, how do people who are managing remotely these days, accessing, you know, in one city, but then there's um, leading teams of people who might be dispersed around the country or even around the world, how can they use the five languages of appreciation to build stronger team cohesiveness and let people who they don't see, that they can't just benefit by walking around and dropping by in the same way using the five languages of appreciation? Great question, Bill. And early on in, in our work, we were asked by organizations, some were not-for-profits that had, you know, people in different countries and then obviously, you know, in different companies that have uh, different work sites uh, about this. And so we actually developed a form, uh, a variant of our inventory just for long-distance work relationships. And then 
about a year ago, uh, published research on the differences of how people who work in uh, long distance work relationships differ from face to face employees and how they want to be shown appreciation. Because, I mean, the obvious question is how do you spend quality time or do an active service if they're in another city or state or whatever? And, and so what we've done is created the inventory where the actions are those that can be done uh, over long distance. And two points from our research that I think really give some practical tips. One is that remote workers, although Word still is uh, the number one language for them, for that group, uh, quality time clearly picks up. It, it actually increased by 10 percentage points, up to about 38% of the workers that want quality time. And when we followed up and interviewed and, and did some polling with those individuals, we found out that a key part for remote employees is to connect by video, that they don't just want emails and phone calls or texts or whatever, but having that visual face-to-face uh, really makes them feel more connected. And I know for my team, I have a, a remote team a member in another state, and when we have a team meeting, we'll at least start off with video to include her, see her, and talk and, and, and chat and all that. And now we may move it out just from a logistical point of view, but a lot of places, you know, you're able to do uh, sort of multiple uh, video cameras, and that's real helpful. The other part about it is, just like you said, you don't have the uh, sort of the spontaneous walk by their office and you know, stop and chat or see them in the break room or coming in, you know, in the morning. And so you have to really be more proactive and intentional in, in remote relationships because you don't have those chance or serendipitous kind of interactions. And if you don't, I mean, a long time can go by. And then that ties into the last key piece is that people are, well, let me say this way, employees are people, right? We have lives outside of work. We have different characteristics that we bring besides just producing it and we really believe that helping uh, people get to know one another creates a more positive work environment and that you can appreciate something about something that's not production. I mean, I have a team member who's just got a delightful laugh and, uh, you know, you know when she's nearby because you can hear it. And it just, it sort of lights up the room. Uh, and it's not that it makes her more productive. It's just, you know, a, a nice characteristic. But one of the things we found is that if in communication with remote employees, if you don't involve some personal chatting, it becomes very dry and task oriented. And that because you're on a conference call with the team and, you know, you're talking about this project or a report or whatever. And so we really encourage people to set aside some time, whether that's in the beginning of the call and or even, you know, schedule different one, just check in and say, hey, how was your weekend? You know, um, how's your son doing in soccer? You know, or you know, in my case, you know, how about them chiefs, you know? <laughs> and so, and because otherwise it's just about reports and then they just feel like a production unit. And that's really a key aspect about authenticity is that it's not that you don't have to be the highest producer. You have value as a person, a team member uh, beyond that. And we want to help people be able to learn how to communicate that. So, Paul, I'm going to ask you if you're ready for the lightning round. And any uh, version of affirmative enthusiasm will be appreciated. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm good. Paul, are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round? You bet. Let's go for it. All right. So earlier I asked about a person who influenced or inspired you. Now, what's a book or idea that changed the course of your life? Well, I would say uh, there's a great book called Integrity by Henry Cloud. 
Henry is a, a psychologist who works uh, with work relationship. It's interesting. The book is not about integrity in the sense of telling the truth or whatever. It's about integrity, a sense of being whole and being sort of who you are both at work and outside. But the, I tell people the first chapter is worth the whole book because he gives the picture of a, a boat and one wake it leaves it has to do with people and the other has to do with results and tasks. And uh, you can screw it up either way. And it, it's just a, a really good book, very practical, but also deep in the sense of really helping you think about, okay, how am I going through my day? I'm really interested to look that up. Thanks. You bet. So what's the easiest or least expensive change you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? Mm, wow. I would say... Wow. The least expensive gets in there, but yeah, (laughs) because of this, I don't think it it had to do with the money, but my wife and I had our 40th anniversary. I took two weeks of vacation for the first time in my adult life since getting out of school. And and I didn't take my computer and I unplugged as much as possible. I mean, I think I checked email 15 minutes a few times over two weeks and it, it was amazingly refreshing. And so I mean, the trip costs some because where we went up in Banff, it's a little bit expensive, but that wasn't the part that was refreshing. It was unplugging and just getting in nature and hiking and, and, and being with my wife. It was a great time. Yeah, it was the decision to not bring along your computer that really made the difference, wasn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I was amazed at how many people were surprised that I actually was and could do that. I didn't see myself as that much of a workaholic, but uh, uh, apparently others did. So, but it was <laughs> And when you think about what you do on a day-to-day basis, what's the most important habit, routine, or belief that you've stopped or ended in the last year that's brought you the most personal pleasure or personal satisfaction? I would the thing that I've stopped that I have to keep working at is not feeling like I have to know about everything that's being published out there or said or written and so i consistently unsubscribe from stuff and don't worry about what everybody else is doing and just keep focused on you know what i feel like god's sort of given me uh, the message to give to people that hey you know treat people well focus on who they are as, as a person and uh learn to be confident and skilled in that and things will go well uh, for you so uh, it's it's sort of you know, getting out of this rat race of feeling like you got to know everything that's going on out there. Paul, when we think of companies that really want to improve their use of the five languages of appreciation in the workplace, what would you recommend for someone listening right now who is saying, we've got to start something, we've got to do something like this at our company right now. What are one or two ways that you suggest that they can get started with this and develop more of a, a sense of how to use it effectively. Yeah. Well, this may seem self-serving, but I mean, it is true. I, I think getting the book and looking at it, it's an easy read. It's one of these where you can read the intro and maybe the first chapter and then pick and choose uh, topics that are of interest, like maybe the languages or the research, whatever, and just start to educate yourself. I mean, the other way, and you can get it on Amazon or you can get it on our website, our website is appreciationatwork.com, and it's the word at. And on there, if you go to the Learn tab, I got 
I got Boku. I mean, I've written over 300 articles and have other podcasts and videos and all that, that sort of can help introduce you to this. And then, you know, I think, um, share it with somebody. We always know that we tend to remember things better and are more likely to apply them. If we at least talk to somebody about it and say, Hey, I heard this or, you know, saw this and found sort of interesting. Tell me what you think about it. And, uh, just start, you know, open the door. Don't feel like you got to read the whole book or do everything, but start somewhere and then start somewhere with yourself, right? Don't start to try to implement it if you haven't started with, you know, people you work with. That's a good place to start. Gary, for yourself, what is your primary and secondary language of appreciation? So my primary one is words. And so, you know, and I don't really care how I get it. <laughs> you know, I mean, it can be verbal. It can be written. It can be in front of a group. I'm not easily embarrassed. So, you know, just, that's fine. And then. I would say acts of service is my second. As a leader, I think that's moved up for me because I just, you know, feel like I have a lot to do. And if people can help me sort of get things off my plate or secondary stuff so I can focus on the primary, uh, that feels very supportive uh, and encouraging. Too. And what was a point in your own business when you knew that the people in the business who were supporting you and managing projects actually understood this? What was an example of, of a specific event or some conversation you had that showed it was making a difference? Well, I think uh, not too long ago, I mean, I don't know if this was the first one, but not too long ago, we had a team meeting and I've got uh, eight people on my team. And it was interesting. We had we've created a, a new expanded version of our inventory. And so we had everybody take it and then we talked through it. And it was just, in other words, they shared about their own individual results. And it was quite fascinating to hear sort of the passion and seriousness that people said, you know, this really motivates me or makes me feel valued. Whereas even if you change it just a little bit, yeah, it's, it's quality time, but it's not that kind of time. And differentiating sort of the specific actions and people really listening uh, and hearing and trying to apply that, it, it was uh, encouraging to me to, to hear that conversation and uh, for them to report what was important to them. Paul, you have shared here, get ready for some appreciation because you have shared so many great ideas with us today on my quest for the best. And I want to thank you because you started off telling us how at the dinner table, your dad would ask you and I don't know, do you have siblings? Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to ask everyone, what needs to, do you see that aren't yet met? And that is a question that drives behavior and drives curiosity. And it's so evident throughout your discussion and your the work that you've shared, how important it is to look and see how to meet those unmet needs. And the example of your grandfather was his perseverance that really opened the door and led to a, a huge change or a pivot in the direction of your own career trajectory by meeting up with Gary Chapman and beginning this project together was very inspiring, especially for those of us who look to do business with larger companies or individuals who might be harder to reach, that perseverance does pay off. And we talked about the difference between people who think that everyone is like them initially and design programs of recognition, like putting their admins in a marketing group in front of a group, and they don't want that type of group recognition. So it's so important to ask and listen and respond to what people's needs actually are. And one of the ways to do that is to go through and the MBA inventory, found at mbainventory.com, and have people talk about 
what it is that is their primary and secondary language of appreciation. We talked about how there is a significant and measurable ROI when you speak the languages of love that really matter. And by doing so, it reduces conflict, it reduces turnover, it can even reduce theft and accidents while increasing retention, customer service, problem solving, productivity, and even profitability. That when companies don't understand the five languages of appreciation, you could tell because of the negativity and complaints that are going on. And you also shared a couple of great examples that people will refer back to as they listen to this podcast about you know, people working in a mining and commercial company in South Dakota actually putting the symbol of their preferred language of love on their helmets so that it communicated instantly how they wanted to be appreciated and recognized. We talked about how employee recognition programs are great when you use them for the purpose for which they were designed, but if you try to distort that purpose or use them in a way that they weren't intended, it doesn't meet that need. And what people really want is personal appreciation, something that personally matters to them that is unique as each of us are, and how that matters to all team members. The five languages of appreciation is something not just to be used by leaders, but it's something that can be used by every single person on your team because it builds a stronger team and actually develops leadership skills, I would go so far to say. And it works whether you're seeing people day to day walking down the hall and dropping by their work area or being able to reach out remotely. And you gave us some great tips for that. So for all these reasons and more, Paul White, co-author of the Five Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, I thank you so much for making your contribution to my quest for the best today. Thank you for having me, Bill. I really appreciate the opportunity. Before we say goodbye, Paul, tell me, where is it that people can find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so our website is appreciationatwork.com, and it's the word at. But if you just Google Dr. Paul White and appreciation, you're going to find a whole bunch of stuff as well. So either way, we'll do it, appreciationatwork.com, or just Google my name plus appreciation. Thank you so much, Paul. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode. 